Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies. Oh, snap. Do I have a wild episode for you today? If there's one thing in this life that I've learned, it's to never underestimate Greedock, the Splithead. Something Quentin maybe knows, maybe does not know, probably should know, and we'll find out about very soon. In other news, I just passed 50% completion on GFL Book 7's second draft. I can give you a couple of non-spoilery spoiler hints as to what is coming. At this point in the book, the Krakens have reported for training camp for the 2687 preseason. And there is a new quarterback in the Krakens camp. That is all I can tell you for now. You can do your own math. I can't say when I will be done with GFL Book 7 Second Draft, but I can say that the story is really coming together. Writing the first half has been harder than what I think writing the second half, excuse me, editing the first half has been a lot harder than editing the second half will be. But we will find out because things just get bonkers in the second half of the story. In the first half, there's so much, so much to cover from GFL Book 5, GFL Book 6, bring it all together, the Stone Wolves, etc., in the second half, we kind of get into some new territory, so hopefully I won't have quite as much of the constant fact-checking and we can we can start to rock and roll. But that's all the news I got for you. Let's get you caught up on the story so far, and then it is Vanilla Sunday time! Previously on The Gangster, Quentin's trap at the borehole is about to spring shut. He has Greedock the Splithead where he wants him. Or is it the other way around? Will Quentin escape from Greedock, or is this only the beginning of a new kind of servitude? Find out next on The Gangster, episode number 30. Whatever it takes. Quentin didn't have to fake being terrified. The cell alone was enough to bring back the memories of waiting for another beating, of waiting to be dragged to the metal X. He fought a wave of panic that he'd been tricked by Greedock, by his father, that the restraints wouldn't come off, that he'd be locked up in the cell, and this time it would be worse because he'd chosen to come back here, and he closed his eyes, focused. He could control his fear for a few minutes. The cell door vibrated as thick bolts slid back, and with that sound came a wave of terror that made him think his ordeal had never actually ended, that he dreamed about the escape, his father, the Oleron, all of it. Focus. You're in control. You're not a prisoner. The door screeched open. The light from the corridor seemed to blind him, a sort of brightness slicing through the guts of the dark. The bulk of a huge warrior blocked out the light. Quentin scrambled to the wall opposite the door, just as he'd done so many times over the past few weeks, his body instantly remembering the skill of scurrying with his wrists locked together. The shadow closed in. A big, quith foot 
pressed on Quentin's shoulder, shoved him down on his side against the cold stone. He felt Petty Palp hands yanking at his restraints, making sure they were locked tight, then the sound of his teammate's voice. He is secure, Virak said. The warrior kept his foot on Quentin's shoulder. Quentin's eyes adjusted to the light. Greedock, the splithead, entered the cell, bracelets jingling with each step. Barnes, such a pleasure to see you again. Two sentients followed Greedock into the cell. A huge, heavy key, some 13 feet long from end to end, had to be 650 pounds, and the scarred, pink-robed Sklorno, who had accompanied Basal on the visit to the Hypatia. The tall Sklorno had to duck slightly to enter. Behind the guards came Chalita Sackacorn and Masol, the efficient. Masol, who had tricked Quentin into staying on Earth long enough for Greedock to spring this trap. Masol, who had told Greedock about the schism meeting on Ionath. Backstabbing Masol. Betraying Masol. Quentin pushed the thought away. He needed to focus on the situation at hand. Seven sentients, including a massive heavy key, the small cell had quickly become crowded. This was the moment. Quentin would find out if he could get the information he needed, then end the threat to his family. Could he fool the leader a little while longer? Quentin tried to make his voice sound weak, labored. Greedock, thank I one you've come. In his voice, Quentin heard the genuine ring of fear. The all-encompassing dread of this place had sunk its talons deep into his soul. The tiny Blackford leader came closer. He kept far enough away from Quentin to avoid any sudden lurch or kick. Greedock's single, softball-sized eye stared down. I had hoped to see your downfall, Barnes. I did not think it would be this satisfying. It is comforting to know that even at my age, Life can still deliver delightful surprises. Virak's foot pressing down. The rough floor, so cold, so hard, digging into Quentin's side. Let me sit up, he said. Please? Greedock twitched one of his six small antennae. Virak took his foot off Quentin and took a step back, but stayed close. Quentin slowly sat up, his naked ass and heels on the stone floor. He was shivering. From the cold or from fear, he didn't know. They want to know about my church, he said. They keep, they keep asking me over and over. Is that because of you? A swirl of color on Greedock's cornea. Rare that it happened at all, rarer still that the color was light orange. The leader was happy. You are a child, Barnes. Could you really be so stupid as to think that something could happen in my organization without my knowledge? Once I learned of your duplicitous meeting on Ionath with the heads of your church where you concocted the hoax of a schism, I knew it was my duty to report it to the Empire Bureau of Species Interaction. The bastard. The bastard. The torture, the terror, all of it. Greedox doing. Quentin glared at Masal. You told him about the meeting. Dark red flooded the worker's cornea, the color of surprise, of shock. 
Elder Barnes, I assure you that Missal told me nothing, Greedock said, which is a problem unto itself, a problem I will address shortly. Missal's eye flooded a dark blue. He began to tremble. The worker was terrified. Had he not told Greedock? But Missal came to Earth, Quentin said. That's why we couldn't leave before the bats came to... came to... The orange curls on Greedock's cornea grew thicker, more animated. That's why I sent Masal, the leader said. I knew you would trust him. Wait to see him. Have you been down here this whole time wondering if Masal betrayed you? He had no idea he was being used to keep you in place long enough for the authorities to reach you, Barnes. Masal is a fool, and so are you. Greedock turned stared at the cowering worker. I assume Massal did not tell me, because he was trying to keep you out of trouble, trying to keep you on the field, keep you playing for the Krakens. His initiative was excellent, but his choosing to not tell me, thinking that he knew better than his Shamakath, that is a transgression for which he will be punished. Massal shook with fear. Strands of pink curled across his red-flooded eye. But if... Masal didn't tell you, Quentin said. How did you find out? Greedock absently played with his bracelets. The metal tinkled, a strangely ominous sound in the stone room. Jonathan Sandoval was investigating your relationship to your various churches, he said. One of my subordinates followed up on that research. He found travel documentation for Richfield, Who Love Q, and Hoyt Bogard, putting them all on Ioneth during week eight of last year's season. You were in Ioneth, of course, as it was our bye week. My most loyal assistant, Massal the Efficient, went to one of my safe houses, where he turned off surveillance footage for one hour. After that hour, Who Love and Bogard left Ioneth. Later that same day, Richfield contacted an Ioneth City commercial real estate firm to find a building suitable for a church headquarters. Sandoval, Hokor's murderer. Even from beyond the grave, Sandoval still caused damage. A few days later, Yolanda Davenport ran her schism story. You, Barnes, were free and clear. An impressive orchestration, I will admit. Greedock had pieced things together. But Quentin knew Massal had made sure there would be no surveillance footage, not just in the safe house, but anywhere in the vicinity. Travel plans, Quentin said. A safe house with the cameras turned off. That couldn't have been enough for the CMR to put me in here. What evidence did you give them? No evidence at all. The bats don't have the same disdain for independent businessmen that most other governments have. They know I am a powerful sentient, and as such... They took me at my word. Quentin looked to the floor, praying Greedock didn't see the hope in his eyes or hear the increased beating of his heart. You told them you heard about the meeting? Why would they believe you? Greedock leaned closer. Virak stiffened. I told them I was there, the leader said. I told them I followed you to the meeting, that I saw everything with my own eye. I told them you found out and threatened my life if I talked. But, finally, and after much soul-searching, I could not allow your church to continue to grow and possibly throw our galaxy into chaos. 
I bravely risked my own life to tell the truth and see justice served. No actual evidence, fake or otherwise. Nothing but Greedock's word. Quentin calmed himself, or tried to. He could get out of this. Killing had been wrong, and Quentin had been right. A dead Greedock couldn't formally recant his testimony. I have contacts in the EBSI and the CMR, Greedock said. I simply informed them of what I knew about your church gathering. I did not know I would get the opportunity to come here and see you personally, see you broken down to a ragged splinter of your former grandeur. The leader moved closer to Quentin. Virak tensed, ready to strike if Quentin made a move. You are in this cell because of me, Greedock said. You thought you were my equal. You thought you could defeat me. You are not a leader. You are not even quith. You are simply a stupid human. A dumb jock, as some of your kind would call it. How ludicrous that you thought you could challenge me. How vain. Quentin desperately wanted to tap the signal that would release his restraints and bring in his father, but there was more he needed to know first. I heard you were working with Fred to find out who attacked me on Earth, Quentin said. Why would you do that and then get me put in here? Because after I started working with Gonzaga, I learned that your career is truly over. Missal did not betray your confidence, but Dr. Patah did. Perhaps you should not have threatened his life, Barnes. Even here, in the face of this danger, and willing to do damn near anything to get his life back, Quentin suffered a burst of shame over the way he'd talked to Patah. He told you I was done? That was his professional opinion, Greedock said. But I have seen professionals be wrong before. I was willing to wait, to be sure, but then your adoptive mother paid me a visit. After that, I decided that even if you could play again, I no longer wanted your services. It is her fault that you are here just as much as it is yours. The leader's cornea shifted to the yellow-orange of excitement. He wasn't even trying to hide his emotions. He wanted Quentin to see them. Many times I told you, Barnes, that when your football career with the Krakens was over, there would be a price to pay. Greedock pointed a petty pelt finger to the cell floor. This is that price. My faith in you brought me two titles. I rebuilt the Krakens before. I will rebuild the Krakens again. You exhibited greatness, but you are only a player. There are always others. Such a bitter, evil soul. Killian had been right after all. Quentin should have just killed Greedock. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. 
Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The restraints were digging into Quentin's wrist. His butt was going numb. He'd learned what he needed to learn. Almost time to turn the tables on this monster. Sackacorn took a step closer. Our window is closing, she said. I want my money. What was she doing? This was almost over. Sackacorn knew Greedock wouldn't make it out of here, wouldn't complete the deal once the trap was sprung. Wasn't the three million Quentin was paying her enough? Greedock turned to face Sackacorn. You told me this Yakochet wanted to apologize. He still has not done so. Were you untruthful in your negotiation? The deal was, I bring you to him, and you're here, Sackcorn said. I don't care if he apologizes or not. Don't try to get out of paying me. Massal has our contract box. Transfer the money to me now, Greedock. The leader glanced at Quentin. Fine. Massal, finish the transaction. Yes, Shemekath. As Massal took the contract box and spoke quietly to Chilita, Greedock again looked down at Quentin. I came to savor your apology, Barnes. I came to listen to the music of you begging for your life and beg you will. My testimony put you in here, and only my testimony can get you out. If I tell the Ministry of Religion that another owner, say, Anavalani, forced me to give that false testimony in order to get you off the field, and that your churches are actually separate entities, quite possibly you will be released. Had Greedock arrived three days earlier, before the riot, before Killian, Quentin would have believed that lie. He would have begged intensely, desperately, clawing for any shred of hope that Greedock might be his salvation. That knowledge made Quentin sick inside, made him accept how the pain had broken him. Yes, if Greedock had come three days ago, Quentin would have begged. But he hadn't come three days ago. You want to hear me apologize? Quentin said. With his left pointer finger, he tapped once on his right fingernail. That's not going to happen, you worthless piece of garbage. Greedock took a step back. He knew something was wrong. Virak knew, too. The warrior turned toward the door, ready to strike, but stopped cold. Quentin's father stood there, in armor and helmet, that big revolver in his hand. Killian had the Orphaner's oversized holster strapped to his left thigh. 
Apparently, his lecture to Aya on using standard weapons was a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do thing. Quentin didn't care. At that moment, the more intimidation, the better. Stay real still, Killian said to the warrior. None of you move. Aya slid in behind Killian, moved to his right, the shotgun in her hands. She kept the weapon leveled at the heavy key and the sclorno. Quentin tapped his fingernail twice. His restraints relaxed. He pulled his hands free, dropped the restraints on the floor, and stood. His butt and legs tingled. He stared down at his foe. Your days of threatening me are over, Greedock. The leader's fur remained perfectly flat. His cornea had gone clear. Massal dropped the contract box. It clattered against the stone floor. Barnes, you idiot, Chalita said. We were almost finished. Quentin ignored her. Step out of the cell, he said to Greedock. Your guards stay here. You're coming with me. Had Quentin been going for intimidation? He wasn't sure. But if so, that effort had failed. I will stay right here, the leader said. Quentin stepped closer, towering over the tiny leader. I'm not screwing around, Greedock. Step out of the cell. Greedock sighed, turned his back to Quentin. If you are going to have me shot, Barnes, then get it over with. The leader was so calm. Not just calm, he seemed bored. Uh, he doesn't seem that worried, Aya said. Shouldn't he be worried? Greedock turned slowly to stare at her. I hate to shatter your ego, he said. But this is not the first time I have had a gun pointed at me. The little leader could posture all he liked. He was no longer in control. Quentin was. Quentin stepped to Greedock, put his hand on Greedock's shoulder. The black fur felt cool against palm and fingers. Quentin realized, suddenly, that this was the first time he'd ever actually touched the leader. Take your hands off me, Greedock said. Quentin slowly squeezed, increasing the pressure until Greedock tensed. Virak's eye flooded black. The warrior made small noises that Quentin had only heard from him on the football field. Noises of rage, the kind of sound sentience make when conscious thought vanishes and the primitive ancestors who had survived endless threats took over. The warrior was about to snap. Move it, Greedock, Quentin said. Out of the cell. The big Sklorno took a tentative hop toward Aya. Aya's aim swung sharply toward the threat. Don't try it, bitch, Aya said. This thing ain't loaded with beanbags. I'll give you a whole new set of scars. Tough words, but there was no strength behind them. The girl wasn't that experienced in violence. She sounded nervous, scared. Everyone stay cool, Killian said, the voice coming from behind the visor, a smooth, calming burr. Every one of you, except Greedock, stays in this cell. You can stay as healthy individuals or as corpses. Your choice. Unlike Aya, his words carried the cold finality of death itself. The heavy key stirred, slightly widening his six-legged stance. This was supposed to be over before Greedock's guards had a chance to think. Quentin needed to get Greedock out of here. He pushed the leader toward the door. Greedock stumbled forward, the sudden movement letting him slip out of Quentin's grip. B-1, 
before Quentin could grab him again, Greedock turned sharply. You dare to hit me? Greedock's eye flooded black, as black as the void itself. Quentin, Killian said, his aim never straying from Virak's chest. Get him out of here, now. Insolent worm, Greedock screamed. I will kill everything you love. I will kill that stupid whore you call your wife. Quentin's anger spiked, sharply and instantly. One hard punch would shatter Greedock's small skull, forever end the threat to Becca. Quentin, move! Killian's voice grew louder, more commanding. Just grab him and get him out of here. Not just your wife, Greedock said, his voice a shrill sound that hurt Quentin's ears. I'm going to kill your baby, Barnes. I will feed it to the key. Just one punch, one punch to finish it. To Orphan scum, Greedock screamed, then sprang at Quentin. A rabbit leaping at a bear, the leader's unexpected attack caught Quentin flat-footed. Middle arms extended, thick fingers reached for Quentin's eyes. With a lightning-fast right, Quentin slapped Greedock out of the air. The leader flew sideways, landed hard on the cell's stone floor. The cell erupted in violence. The heavy key launched himself at Aya, the 13-foot-long, tree-trunk-thick body extending like an accordion, forearms spread wide and reaching for her, even as the Sklorno sprang for Killian. Aya's shotgun roared once before 700 pounds of sentience slammed into her. They both hit the floor. The Sklorno rushed Killian, who smoothly swung his aim from Virak to her and fired twice, the big revolver's report deafening in the close confines. Before Killian pulled the trigger the second time, Virak was already moving, a blur of mass and motion. Killian pivoted to fire at the warrior, but it was too late. Virak ducked under the barrel and tackled Killian hard, pedipalp arms wrapping the human up in a crushing highlight reel hit. The revolver fired again as Virak drove Killian hard into the cell door's frame. The two sentients fell to the ground, instantly locked in mortal combat, fists and elbows and knees flying. Time slowed. Lines of power flared. The heavy key rolling off Aya, who did not move. Virak and Killian fighting. The Sklorno on the floor, not moving. Clear blood spreading out from her body. Aya's shotgun. The heavy key turning toward Quentin, long body compressing, gathering for a leap. The position of the key's legs, the angle of its body. Quentin knew exactly where the sentient's arms and torso would strike when it shot across the room. The lines of power led to the right, an easy dodge, as soon as the heavy key started to expand. The 700-pound sentient compressed. Quentin watched, waited for the moment to slide right. Something on his calf. Something biting him. He looked down, saw Greedock wrapped around his lower leg. Quentin reached for him, just for an instant, before remembering the gathering heavy key. Quentin looked up again just as the heavy key slammed into him, an impact like a wrecking ball hitting cattle. Quentin flew backward, smashed against the stone wall. He tried to get up. He'd been hit like that before in the gridiron, many times. But before he could even get to his side, the heavy key was on him. Thick, powerful key hands, locked down on Quentin's wrists and forearms, pinning Quentin to his back. He adjusted instantly, sliding his hips to the left, bringing his left knee up into the key once, 
twice, a third time. It was like hitting brick-covered gel. Quentin tried a fourth knee. It didn't land. The key's legs, all six of them, wrapped around Quentin's legs, cinched them up tight in an inescapable grip. In an instant, Quentin couldn't move at all. He wasn't strong enough. There was too much weight on him. The heavy key's five-eyed head reared back. Its vocal tubes let out a trumpet-like roar of anger, then the head slammed forward, smashing into Quentin's face. The back of Quentin's head crunched into the stone floor. The world spun. He was trapped. The heavy key head-butted him again, another one-two impact, the first breaking his nose, the second bouncing his skull off solid rock. Time slowed for a second, but in a very different way. He didn't know where he was, what was happening. Something smashed into his face again and again. Ruang, that is enough. Greedock's voice, halting, forced, thick with pain and anger. The weight pinning Quentin down rolled away. The room whirled around him, tilted and shifted beneath him. Something in the back of his throat. The taste of blood. He swallowed before he realized he was swallowing a tooth. Guard, Greedock said, stop or I will shoot. Quentin's head lolled. He limply rolled to his side, saw Killian a few feet away, atop a weakly moving Virac the Mean. Killian had lost his helmet. Blood covered his mouth and chin. His white eyes were wide with near madness. The subdermal tats blazed red. He had one fist raised in the air, but he wasn't looking at the warrior. Quentin blinked, trying to clear his blurry vision. He followed his father's stare. There stood Greedock the Splithead, one pedipalp arm broken, hanging limply. His middle arms worked fine. They aimed the shotgun at Killian Carbonaro. Get off my warrior, the leader said. Killian slid off Virac, slowly stood, raised his hands. Killian glanced down. His revolver lay on the floor, dotted with flecks of red blood. Reach for it if you like, Greedock said. I can fire faster than you can move. Killian focused his attention on Greedock and on the shotgun in Greedock's hands. With that weapon, at that distance, the leader didn't have to be accurate. One pull of the trigger, and Killian's unprotected face would catch a deadly spray of metal pellets. Stand next to Barnes, Greedock said, and move slowly. Killian did as he was told. Virak struggled to his feet, stood on wobbly legs. And you, Greedock said, join them. It took Quentin a moment to understand who Greedock was addressing. Chalita Sackacorn. She should have run for it. Maybe there hadn't been time. Maybe the door had been blocked by Killian and Virac. The brawl had lasted maybe 10 or 15 seconds, start to finish, yet had left both sides battered. A gash on Killian's temple spilled steady rivulets of red. Aya was still on the stone floor, on her back, motionless, so much blood on her face, Quentin couldn't see where that blood was coming from. Quentin gingerly touched the bridge of his nose, felt the hot, painful wetness there. His head throbbed so bad, he thought he might throw up. He felt the back of his head, where it had bounced off the stone floor. Blood there, as well. His calf burned. A touch there came back bloody from where Greedock had bit him. 
the gangster's team didn't look much better. A fresh chitin crack on Virak's chest, a lightning bolt fissure oozing red. One of his middle arm hands bled profusely, blood gushing in spurts against the stone floor. It took Quentin a second to realize that Virak was missing the smallest finger of his middle left hand. Killian had torn it off. The Sklorno, Gristlehead, lay in a heap on the floor, surrounded by a still-expanding puddle of clear blood. She would never move again. Both of Killian's rounds had punched through her chest. The heavy key was also moving slowly. Black blood coursed down its chest from a dozen holes. It had taken a shotgun round from close range. The heavy key wasn't bulletproof by any measure, but that same round would have ended a sentient of any other species. Virak, Greedock said, pick up that pistol. The linebacker reached down with a trembling pedipalp hand, picked up the pistol, aimed it at Killian. The warrior's eyes swirled with dark green. He was humiliated by the ass-kicking Killian had given him. Greedock handed the shotgun to the heavy key. Ru-Eng, if any of them move, kill them all, Greedock said. No more second chances, and pick up that small human female. The leader used his middle arms to clumsily brush himself off. His eye shone clear. Now, he said, let us discuss what happens next. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.